Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. If you remember, we saw Jesus tell Paul that in chapter 23, verse 11. He told him, after being arrested, after being tried before the council, after there's death threats against him, take courage. I'm with you, I'm for you, using you, and you must go to Rome. Paul had God's word. He saw at least a glimpse of God's stated will for him going forward, is that he would go to Rome, even into the court of Caesar, and testify to the facts about Jesus and why he had been arrested. God would make it easy for him to get to Rome was God's promise. This is where you laugh. Not true. Right? No. But God would accomplish all of His plans. See, there's going to be conspiracy and trial and trouble and Him being left in prison and, and all of these things are going on. And today a storm and a shipwreck. All of these things are going to happen in Paul's life. But he will go to Rome. And he did. And in the process, though, of all of the things that might have been confusing to him, something maybe none of them had thought would happen would be the gospel would go to Malta. God's always at work accomplishing his purpose. God had given Paul enough to trust him, but he hadn't given him all the details about how that was going to be worked out. The Lord always gives us enough to trust Him. We always have enough to trust Him if we're making use of the means of grace that He has given us. And in fact, if we just knew the gospel and that's all we knew, that's more than enough to trust Him. If He will do that for us, what good thing will He withhold? So we're going to see Paul go through a storm, a storm that he hasn't been told about, something that is just part of God's sovereignty and God's work. And even as he goes through the storm and those who are with him go through this storm and we see what God does, this, is, this can be somewhat of a picture of the life of the church, right? It can be somewhat of a picture of the Christian life. God has given us enough to trust him. Will we hold on to that? in the midst of the storms of life. We're diving back down. Paul has finished all three of the what we call missionary journeys. He's really on the fourth missionary journey. He's in chains, but he's on the fourth missionary journey. But he's been tried. He's been arrested, and uh, he was actually seized, and they were trying to kill him. He's been arrested by the tribune. He's been tried by Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. He's appealed to Rome, and so now he sails to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. And it's time for him to go to Rome. And we'll see today what happens. But I think there's some lesson, overarching lesson for us and a reminder for us and an encouragement to us. And so the main thing I want us to pull away from this story as we look at it briefly is this. Trust what you know about God 
when you are in the midst of the unknowns of a storm. Trust what you know about God, always, right? But especially when you're in the midst of a storm, because they're going to come. You may be in one now. But life, in some sense, is a storm. Trust what you know about your God. That's why it's important to know about your God, by the way, when you're in the midst of unknowns of a storm. Look at this story of Paul's trip to Rome, and we'll, we'll talk about it again. We'll talk about more what happens in Malta and then on to Rome next week. But just today, the, 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 the storm and the shipwreck and, and making it to the beach. But first, look at this at first point. God's will includes delay and difficulty. That's verses 1 to 12. Let's, let's, let's read together. Verses 1 to 12, it says this, And when, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of Andr Andromidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanying by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, somebody we see mentioned other places in Scripture. The next day we put out in Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So God's even in the midst sovereignly ruling and seeing to it that he's cared for. And putting out to sea, there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. The winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There a certain uh, a centurion, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed the Lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along, you're going to see this word over and over, difficulty. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which is the city, near, which is near the city of Lycia. Such, since much time had passed, much time had passed. See, this is difficult. It's taken a while. This is not what was foreseen. Much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also our lives. In other words, this is dangerous to go forward. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because of the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. It's time to go to Rome. It's time to get on a ship. Paul is in chains. He's being taken aboard a couple of ships. He's being taken to Rome, and there's one theme of this first part, and it's difficulty. The winds are against them. The sailing is difficult. It's not made easy. And there's a reason for that. One of the reasons is the time of year. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of the centurion and the ship and all of the things we might cover in a Sunday school lesson. Uh, I'll trust you to do that if you're interested in that. 
But uh, in verse 9, it says this, Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over. What do they mean by the fast? That's the day of atonement. This is simply Luke's way of telling us what time of year it is. They're in late September or October. It's just before winter. Sea travel was normally avoided from mid-September until March due to increasing danger. Low daylight, clouds, wind, rain, snow, storms were common. Why might it be important that it not be cloudy when you're sailing? They don't have GPS. They don't have an iPhone. That'll point. They're, guiding, they're being guided by the stars and what they can see in the heavens. And if they can't see those things, you can quickly get disoriented. Think about flying a plane through heavy storms. You can, without instruments, you could be flying upside down and not know it sometimes. But this is, this is going into the season when sea travel should be avoided, when it was dangerous to be on the sea. And the reason is it had just been difficult for them to get even the, 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 the way that they've gotten so far. You see difficulty and the wind's against them and it's not helping them and they're going slow and they finally made it to fair havens, which by the way means good harbor, but they're not satisfied with that. The voyage is dangerous and Paul says this. Now watch this. This is not a prophecy. This is a man of experience who's been on the water. You read about Paul's and you'd see him shipwreck after shipwreck after shipwreck. One of the things I'm not doing this morning is jumping around all over scripture because really I want you to be able to have lunch before two hours from now. So we're just going to walk through this. We're going to see what it is. We're going to see lessons from it. But Paul is saying in verse 10, Sirs, I perceive, I perceive. I've been on the sea. I know what the customs are. I know what time of year this is. He's like, I perceive this voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo, but also of our lives. Paul is making a personal judgment based on experience. And they don't listen to him. And listen, some people make a big deal about this, but they don't know who he is really. I mean, this guy's just been brought onto a ship and he's new and you've got salty, grizzled sailors on this boat. You, you know, you've got a pilot who's done this for years. You have the owner of the ship and, and they certainly want to protect their investment. And if it's not a safe harbor to be in the winter three months with all the storms and stuff, they're wanting to get to a safer place, which, by the way, Phoenix, the goal they were looking for was only like on a good day, a half, days away, a half day away. But even on a regular day, <clears throat> you know, a day away. So it's not like they're like, we're going to go all the way, even though no matter what's happening. They're trying to get to a safe, what they perceive as a safe harbor. So it says the majority decided, they evidently took a vote of somehow, of the crew. Apart from the Spirit of God, you know that the majority in the Word of God is always wrong. <laughs> Read it. I mean, how long did it take the Israelites want to vote to go back to Egypt? We'll vote this pastor out. We need us a new one who will take us back where we had garlic and... I mean, you know. 
majorities, Joseph's brothers. God worked through that, accomplished his purpose, but the majority wanted him gone. How about Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. But the majority's like, you know what? Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. It's even dangerous. But if we stay close enough to land and, and we don't go very far, we can get to Phoenix, and that's a good harbor. That's a good place to spend the winter. They have really good restaurants in Phoenix. And the boat can be anchored, and it'll be safe because of the, the direction of the, the inlet and the outlet. So they decide to move on. But they... One reason this is such a struggle is that the way has been filled with delay and difficulty. And I, I've said this earlier, I'll say it again, I'm going to move on, but if you've been a Christian any time, you know that the Christian life has a lot of delay and difficulty in it. Things don't move like we want them to move, do they? Even our growth in grace, you know, we, it seems like the more we know Christ, the more sinful we get. As we're getting closer and closer to Christ, we're knowing more and more of His Word. Paul, even at the end of his life, said he was the chief of sinners. John Piper asked, they, he was asked, you've heard me say this before, but maybe some of you hadn't heard it. He, he was in, a, a, I think it was a round table, and they asked, what in your life is discouraging to you? And when it was Piper's turn, he said, the exceeding slowness of my sanctification. He relate to that. God doesn't promise that we won't have difficult lives filled with delay as we see it. He is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over this storm and our storms and everything, and He's accomplishing His purpose. And we get 20-20 vision when we can look back <laughs> and see what His will was. But even looking forward, we have enough to be at peace and to walk by faith. But the majority, the majority decides to press on and see, we have 20-20 vision for them. We know that's going to be, at least humanly speaking, a mistake. Look, look further, second point. God's will includes storms and loss. See, I mean, think about this. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who would write most of the New Testament. Surely God would grease the skids for him and make life easy. He wants to go to Rome to witness to Caesar. He's appealed to Caesar. God's going to save people in Caesar's household. Surely God will just get him there. I mean, honestly. He's got a lot of people praying for him. He sowed the right seeds. Don't listen to crazy people on TV. I'm just... He wasn't sinning. He was in the middle of God's will and look at all the trouble. So God's will includes storms and loss. Look, look at... Um, Verse 13, we'll move forward. <clears throat> now when the south wind blew greatly, now watch this. They've made this plan, and they're reading everything by circumstances, and now it seems it's right. So when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore, thinking that'll protect them, right? We have this plan, and the circumstances seem to be right, and so we're going to go for it. Now watch. But, verse 14, but. But a small wind, <laughs> a tempestuous wind. What a word. That's a cool word, isn't it? Tempestuous. 
or we say tempest. A tempestuous wind. What does that mean? Well, it identifies it. It says, called the northeaster, struck down from the land. Tempestuous. Typhonicus. You hear another word in that? Typhon? Typhoon? The legendary father of winds pertaining to a very strong and violent wind, a typhoon, a hurricane. I mean, this is a lot of wind. This is trouble. This is not just little trouble. You've heard of the calm before the storm? That's what they had when that little south wind encouraged them. And now they're in the middle of a desperate situation. The, temp- the, the tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. Now watch this. And when the ship was caught and the wind was so strong, it says they could not face the wind. Ga- they gave way to it and were driven along. They had to give way to it. They had no control. Suddenly, everything is out of their control. The exact thing that they hoped to avoid has happened. And they're in a violent wind. They are storm-tossed. And it's not going to be good for the ship and the cargo and, and all of that. Paul's insight would have been right if they had listened to it. Look at this. Running, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with... Di- if you're going to re- be a pastor, you better learn to pronounce a bunch of different words. <laughs> Reading through some of the genealogies in the Old Testament. It's like, anyway, so I butcher some of these. Yeah. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. It was probably filled with water. You know, the, the lifeboat. Think of, think of it that way. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. So they're putting cables and stuff underneath the ship to try to hold it together. They know how dangerous this situation is. Then, fearing they would run aground on the surface. Now, when you see that word surface, this is just an area where there's a lot of sandbars, and it's a very dangerous. Down by the northern tip of Africa, they're being driven if you, you know, down and in that direction. And so they're, they're afraid they're going to run up on these sandbars. So they lower the gear, and they were driven along. The wind is just driving them. Look at this in verse 18. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. At some point in the midst of a great storm, you begin to realize that life is more important than stuff. And so the loss begins, and been, they begin to jettison toss over the side, lighten the ship, protecting the ship and the lives on the ship. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now watch this. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us. Now watch. All hope for being saved was at last abandoned. These are people who know the sea. These are people who've lived their lives on the sea. These are people that maybe have made it through some of these storms or heard stories about others who didn't make it through some of these storms. And they are like, we're not going to make it. We are not going to make it through this. 21. 
since they had been without food for a long time. Now watch this. They've been without food for a long time. They've been so engrossed in, afraid by what is going on and engrossed in trying to save the ship and as much of the stuff as possible and certainly save their own lives. They haven't even eaten. Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. This is not him standing up going nanaboo-boo. Right? He's got, he has a message for them. Now watch this. Yet, now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. How does he know that? Well, somehow, some way, during the night or something on this ship, he's had a visitor. It says, This very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. Now watch what he says to him. It's a reminder. Even the angel's just reminding him of God's word. You must stand before Caesar. What did Jesus say? Take courage. You must go to Rome and testify about me. The angel's even saying, remember God's word. You must stand before Caesar. And so Paul's telling them about that. And behold, God has granted you, God, gracious God, all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Paul's had an angel visitor who's reminded him of his word, who's given him some insight. Paul knows exactly what's going to happen. Paul right now knows God is sovereign. He's in his hands. He will accomplish his purpose. And he has maybe a few more you know, details at this point. Now watch this. Number verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors expected that they were nearing land. For, imagine that. Now this is not a cruise ship. You've seen pictures of the old ships. They've been on this ship being driven by a storm for two weeks and you know when, when, when things are hard, how slow time can pass. I wonder how long that seemed. They're in a storm. They have a messenger, a servant of God on the, on the boat. And probably that's the reason why it's still together. See, Paul's not like Jonah. Jonah, they had to toss him into the storm before everything calmed down. They're being preserved because Paul and others who will come to know Christ are on board. But Paul has told them, we're going to run aground. We must run aground. Now watch this. After the 14 nights, they're, they're suspecting they're near land. Verse 28. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. Now watch, it's going to get shallower. A little farther on, they took a sounding and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. You know, trouble has a way of making people call out to God, doesn't it? You ever done that? Lord, if you'll just get me through this, I will never do this again. Boy, I remember before I came to Christ saying that about so many things. You know what we did when he got us through it? We did it again. Because we were dumb. We were foolish. We didn't trust God. We just wanted out of the trouble. 
You know, no atheists in foxholes. You've heard all those, all those stories. We'll call on whoever. You saw this with Jonah's story, too, when we studied through that. The sailors are, began to call on all of their gods, and then as Jonah's speaking, they began to call on the Lord, praise God. Paul's witnessing even on the ship. You know it's happening. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat into, into the sea under the pretense of laying anchors from the bow. Some of them are like, we have to get off of this boat. So they lower the lifeboat. They're going to leave, right? Now watch this. Paul knows God's sovereign. He knows he's sovereign. Now watch what he says. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now wait, you just told us that nobody's going to die. And now you're telling us that if these guys leave, we cannot be saved. So they, the soldiers cut away the ropes in the ship's boat and let it go. They stopped these people from escaping. What's going on there? God has said nobody's going to die. And now Paul's saying, if you don't stop this... We're not going to be, they're not going to be saved. Well, you've heard about the sovereignty of God already in the sermon. God is sovereign. He's in control. He, he rules and reigns over His creation. He is sustaining and governing everything that He has made. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And God, R.C. Sproul says there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. God will accomplish all of His purpose. And yet we know also that the Bible teaches the responsibility of man. And whether or not it makes sense in our small minds, God can be sovereign and we can be responsible at the same time. We make real choices that we are responsible for. We're not puppets or automatons or we are real moral agents. See, this is the doc, what we call the doctrine of concurrence. God accomplishing His sovereign purpose through and in the context of choices that men are making. The doctrine of concurrence. God and man both acting at the same time so that God's plan is accomplished. Men make real choices and God is sovereign. Two or more parties, now listen to this, two or more parties can act in the same event without all parties having the same intent. So in other words, man can have one intent and God can have another and he can accomplish his purpose through that. Now again, I've already mentioned them, but think about Joseph and his brothers. God had already given Joseph a dream. He would be exalted above his family. He would rule. They would submit. We know that he would provide for them and many would be saved. And his brothers are like, mm-mm, we'll fix that plan in the hole. Sell him off to the Midianite traders. Got rid of him, but yet God accomplished his purpose. Now, look what Joseph said, and I, you remember this story. But Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, you can look that up later if you're taking notes. Joseph said, you meant it for evil. There, were not holy there was not a holy motivation in your heart. You meant it for evil. You meant to get rid of me. But God meant it for good. See how God is sovereignly at work through creation to accomplish His purpose? And the ultimate example is Jesus in the cross. The Pharisees didn't have Jesus crucified. The Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they did not have Him crucified so God's plan would be accomplished and He would save us from our sin. No, they hated Him. They wanted Him dead. 
They wanted him removed. They made real choices to do that, choices they're responsible for and answer for. And yet God, according to his sovereign plan, was accomplishing his purpose. Acts 2, Acts 4, we've already seen that as we've gone through. God is sovereign and man is responsible and those two are true. And rationally we might try to weigh down one or the other so it makes sense to us, but they're both true in the Word of God. Westminster Confession 3.1 says this. Now watch the qualifications too, right? God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. That's just summarizing what Scripture teaches. God works all things according to the counsel of His will, Ephesians 1.11. In Isaiah, I will accomplish all my purposes. He asks... Who has told you the end from the beginning? Is it not I? Not a maverick molecule. Not a blade of grass outside of His plan. God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now watch though, the biblical qualifiers. Yet so. Because see, we wanna, if we're rationalists, we're going to say, well, then we're just puppets. That's why we're not to walk in our own wisdom. There's a, there's a bigger brain than ours. Yet so, as thereby, thereby neither God, God is not the author of sin. We can't blame our sin on God. We make real choices to do that and we're responsible for them. God does not tempt anyone to evil. He does not make anyone sin. James chapter 1. God is not the author of sin. Now watch this. Nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. We make our own choices. He doesn't woo us and make us choose sinful things. Nor is the liberty and contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. The laws of nature are in play. Things work out. God can interrupt that. It's called a miracle. But see, God is sovereign and man is responsible. And therefore, that's what we see playing out here. And Paul says, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. That's God working out His plan. Now, verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense without food. They had been on an inadvertent 14-day fast. You know they're getting weak. So Paul is saying, you need to eat something. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. Now watch this promise. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, that, now this is not them having, he's not having communion with pagan sailors. This is, this is, they're eating. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began, they began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Now, lest you thought this was a little boat, look what it says. We were in all 276 persons. In the ship. And listen, there are bigger ships than that, bigger grain ships than that, then, that would hold more people. But see, when we're reading these stories and we think of these old boats, we don't think that many people might have been on that boat. 276 persons, when they had eaten enough and lightened the ship, throwing the wheat into the sea. They've lightened it up there. They're doing their best they can. They're trusting this messenger who's telling them to trust in the promises that God has given of salvation, of deliverance. And now watch what happens. Third, 
God's will includes shipwreck and salvation. Now when it was day, verse 39, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. And at the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail into the wind, they made for the beach. So at last, finally, things are going to work out somewhat easy, right? But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. And the stern, the back, was being broken up by these... Now think about it. This is a big storm. Have you been down? Even here, if you go down, don't. Some people like to go to the, watch a hurricane and stuff. A lot of those people get swept away sometimes. But storms make huge waves. And so these big waves are crashing on the back of the boat and destroying the boat. Now watch, another God works to preserve and to protect. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But God's already sort of knit Paul together with the centurion and there's some affection there. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He protected Paul. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks and pieces of the ship. And so it was that they were all brought safely to the land through much difficulty and fear and some of them riding on planks. But what God had promised through Paul of a deliverance came to pass. See, sometimes shipwrecks mean death. Even for Christians. Did you know there were many Christians on the Titanic who went down with that ship? One of them was a preacher, 39 years old, who preached the gospel until he died in the water. But in this story, there's salvation and deliverance. Paul and the crew make it to shore. And even in Malta, the gospel goes forth. This seems like the main reason for the storm, or one of the main reasons for the storm, is to take the gospel to the people of Malta. And you would say maybe you're in your own heart, well, God, why don't you just tell us to go to Malta? Wouldn't that have been easier? Less glory for God, less growth for His people, and these sailors got to experience. I'm sure Paul was preaching the gospel, but then him bragging on God and God, God coming through. God truly works in mysterious ways, doesn't He? This is from a hymn uh, which was a poem and then became a hymn. God Moves in a Mysterious Way is the title of it. It's from William Cowper. If you know anything about Cowper, he struggled mightily in his life with depression. But it says this, God moves, now watch this, God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. God accomplishes his purpose 
in a mysterious way. And one of the purposes we can see, apart from the witness and the testimony and the deliverance and what all that did in the lives maybe of the people on this ship and how many of them came to Christ, I don't know. But it, this storm brought the gospel to Malta. There's a picture of a map. Um, that you can kind of see. And if you, if, you look up, if you look up Paul's journey to Rome and you look up the maps, you'll see the lines all over the place. You, now, I love this map. It's where we're coming along, we start to head out, and then we get caught by the storm, and they just put that there. It's like, <laughs> we don't know. I saw a, a, a signer trying to sign in a rock and roll concert one time, and at one point they just said, They don't know where the boat went. And, and the searches, see that? The searches is down here, and it was a northeaster. So think about this. It was probably and probably should have blown the ship all the way down here on the searches, wrecked it on a sandbar. All of them die out to sea. We've got a nor'easter going on, and the ship does this, but it also comes up here and ends up in Malta. Now, Paul, we know, is on his way to Rome, and the traditional route would have been through here and up through here. But even like this, God hasn't taken him too far off his ultimate course. But he's accomplishing a lot of stuff that nobody saw coming in the process. See, we draw our maps differently than God does. We draw our routes differently through our lives than God does. But he accomplishes all of his purpose. All make it to land. The gospel goes to Malta. We'll see more about that next week as we look at it. Our lives look a lot like this. We have, a lot, we have enough detail to trust God if we will. But we certainly don't have the dailies mapped out by God. And it would scare us to death if He did it. Right? You're going to get on this ship and we're going to have a, a typhoon. Haha, <laughs> fun, right? Cool. God didn't tell him. But our lives include some winds against us and difficulty against us and struggles and, and some shipwrecks, right? Do we trust? Are we trusting God? But notice this. Notice what happened to Paul. Notice what we see in chapter 27. The storms of God always take us where He wants us to go. The winds are confusing to us, but they're blowing us in the direction of God's will. He will accomplish all His purpose in and through us, just like He did in the Apostle Paul. He's with us and for us, because Christ has died for us. There may be some people in here today that don't know much of what I'm talking about. While the excitement over storms and God accomplishing His purpose through the storms, well, first and foremost, you need to know the gospel. Why did Christ come? He lived a perfect life in fulfillment of God's law because we had all broken it. We're all sinners, and in order to be with God, we have to have a righteous standing, and we don't have one. So Christ came and fulfilled God's law, and He offers that righteousness to us as a free gift. But He also died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Physical suffering, yes, but He took the wrath of God due our sin upon Himself, and He paid that penalty. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and He was raised from the grave the third day and offers salvation to us as a free gift. Every sin you have committed and will commit was nailed to the cross with Jesus if you are trusting Him. 
And if you're not trusting Him, the offer is real and before you. Christ is a full and free Savior, if you will have Him. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Kids, you all know this verse. That whosoever believes in Him, whosoever trusts in Jesus, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And you know, we don't just stop trusting when we receive Jesus. We don't just stop repenting when we receive Jesus. That becomes the lifestyle of the Christian. Repentance and faith. Faith is trust. And He's given us enough in His Word to walk with faith even through the storms. So Paul's journey can be a Christian. This, this boat ride can be a picture for us of our Christian life and show us what we already know, that we have the Word of God that we might know and rest in God in Christ. And then we have enough that we can trust Him with all of the trials of life. Praise God He hasn't told us about all the trials. He hasn't told us what winds our ships will encounter. But He has told us they will encounter them. In this world you will have good trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world for you. So just a few things to take away with you. It won't take but a second and we're done. But first, we have everything we need to walk through any trial in faith. We have it all in His Word. The Word of God makes us perfect and complete. Paul said to Timothy. Everything we need for salvation and sanctification we have in His Word. We have enough to trust Him. He doesn't have to lay out every detail for us. In fact, as I've said, if we look to the cross and believe the gospel, that's enough for us to trust Him. See, Paul was told where he was going, Rome. But he wasn't told all the details of the journey. And he has told us where we are going. New heavens, new earth. But he hasn't given us all the details of our journey of growth and grace. But he is at work producing in us Christ-likeness and eternal joy. And eventually we will hit the shores in the new heavens and the new earth. Trust him. Rest in him in the midst of your storm. He's with you and for you and accomplishing all of his purpose through it. Second thing I want us to think about is his will includes mystery. Listen, if you're a rationalist, you're going to have a real hard time being a Christian. If man is the measure of all things, if your ability to figure things out is your master, you're really going to struggle. Because the Christian life is made up of a lot of mystery. And most of it is mystery because you couldn't handle it if he explained it to you. Our brains aren't that big, no matter how impressed we are with ourselves. His will includes mystery, hardship, struggle, and fear. And all of it tests us and shows us our failure. And He works through it to grow us all at the same time. He uses us while we are on the way. God's will is accomplished in every one of our lives, but it never looks like we thought it would. I have another picture for you. You may have seen this. This is how we think it's supposed to be as Christians. And I guess that's a lady. That looks like a ponytail. But anyway, we, guys do it too. Okay, this is how it's going to be. La, la, la. A little bit of an uphill incline, right? So we're not coasting. Just a little bit, enough to sort of stress us a little bit. But it, this is God's plan. You see this? Over the cliff, down in the rocks. Oh, rope ladder, I guess is what that is. Cindy would stop right there. She hates bridges, much less anything that looks like that. 
You finally make it up. Mountaintop experience. I'm going to knock this over. There's a zip line right there, I think. You see that thing right there? Button up. He's down here. How are we going to get out of here? Well, you see that little rope right there? That boat seems cool, but it's not going to get you over the hill. Come out of your comfort zone. Grab the rope. Struggle. Oh, another mountaintop experience. We're going to stay here, right? Ugh. Well, that wasn't too bad. Oh, wow. Storm. Rickety ladder. Whew, we finally made it. That's what God's sovereign will is. He's taking us through the storms. He's showing us two things all the time. How weak and needy we are and how great and glorious He is. I stink. He doesn't. He's with me and for me. He's told me at the start that I'm going here. And I thought it would be like this. And I found myself in the midst of this. Until I got a better grasp on His sovereignty and His Word, it freaked me out. This looks pretty cool, God. I want to stay in the boat. Mm-mm. You die. Climb out. Thankfully, there are mountaintop experience in our Christian life. We don't stay in the hole. But some of those holes are really deep. And they're different for each one of us. A true Christian, Christian would never be depressed. Stop sending money to whoever you're sending it to. Because they're telling you lies. A true Christian would never lose a loved one. A true Christian would never lose their job. Their car won't break. Their house won't... Remember, God is accomplishing His purpose. And much of it is through the valley. Read Psalm 23. You'll know what to expect. So thirdly, God will see to it that we make it to the end of our journey. He has revealed the end of our journey and He will take us there. But it won't look like we think. And fourthly, God's highest priority is His glory in our growth in grace and in the gospel going to the ends of the earth. The storm was His mysterious way of taking Paul to Rome via Malta and that was the first exposure to the gospel the people in Malta had and probably the sailors on that ship ever had. And who knows what all else he worked out in Paul, in them, and in, in that journey. My bottom line application for you is believe the gospel and fill your heart with his word so that you trust him in the storms. When life is confusing and you're freaking out, don't be surprised. Just let that teach you. You either don't know as much as you should know about God or you're not resting in what you know. Because when our circumstances get between us and God, we're in trouble. Know your God through His Word. Nobody else is getting any more Word today. There is no more Word from God. It's right here. I don't care what they say to you. There's not a current Word of God unless it's a proper interpretation of this Word of God. Nobody's getting special revelation from God anymore. So you know where to go. You know where your health is. Fill your heart with His Word so that you can trust in the storms. William Cowper trusted in the storm, but it was a great struggle for him. He struggled with depression. He needed those friends around him with the gospel. And so do you. He needed the Word of God. I want to end by reading the rest of that hymn to you. And I'm, I'm done. Preached a whole chapter in less than two hours. But more time than you thought it might take. All right. 
Look at this. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea. He rides upon the storm. Now watch. Deep in unfathomable, mm, unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he's tre- He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. That's what I want for us this morning. Fresh courage. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter, and He will make it plain. Know your God through His Word and walk in faith in the storms of this life. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're so forgetful of our past blessings and how you've brought us through and how you've grown us through trial. And we so look forward many times with this whitewashed view thinking now it's going to be easier. And sometimes it is. But you are truthful with us. In this world we will have trouble. We are in enemy territory. We are growing in grace by the power of your Spirit. We, we have embraced and we proclaim a gospel that the world hates. We, we can't see the future and storms cloud our vision and we get confused and frustrated. But help us, Lord, as the psalmist did in the psalm we read, look to you and look to your word and your promises. Help us to know that storms are coming that fair weather might forsake us, but you will never forsake us. Family and friends and others might forsake us, but you never will. You are for us. You are with us. And you are accomplishing all of your purpose in and through us, even in the midst of our weakness and our fear, our doubt, our struggle. You are growing us in grace. Thank you that you are a good shepherd, Lord Jesus, that you are with your sheep and that you will take us all the way home to the new heavens and new earth. So, Father, encourage your people this morning with your word. Bring some to faith. Convict and work repentance in some who maybe are proud and resisting you. Lift high Christ and the gospel in our hearts and minds every day so that we live in the light of your love and fill our hearts and minds with your word so that we know you and can go through the storms walking by faith and not by sight. Bless us, Lord. We cry out to you this morning. Not unto us, not unto unto us, but to you be all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.